Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. It was just known that's how the family worked. You don't talk about family business in the family. If anyone asked us what our parents did, the official answer was run a bookstore. We own a bookstore. That's, that's what you tell people. So Circus of Books is a bookstore and a hardcore gay adult business. Welcome to Documenteers. Thank you very much. I guess I was, I don't know if I was talking to you, maybe the listener. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'll just also say welcome to Documenteers. Yeah. How you been? How you been? Is <laughs> <laughs> that that one was to me, though? I think so. Okay. Um. Fine. Good. And how about yourself? <laughs> oh, I thought you were prompting me to ask you. How I'm, are you? I'm doing good. Yeah? I don't know how to start this episode. I'm trying to get my mood in it. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get my mood there. So well, how how do you think we should start this episode? Did Cheryl and Tig talk about this uh, documentary? Do you know that after we talked about them and you demanded that I stop listening to their podcast? Yeah. I did. Pull up their podcast right now. <laughs> okay. I want to see if they've done this one. BRB. <laughs> I mean, even if they have, we'll do it better easily because they're just pompous, arrogant Hollywood elites. Not like us salt-of-the-earth folk here at the Documenteers, the greatest documentary theme podcast in the universe. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Um, no, they have not done Circus of Books. Wow, do they hate gay people? Oh! Wow! I mean, Tig is gay, so probably not. <laughs> Pretty sure her wife is also gay. I've Pretty known, sure. I've known some self-hating gays in my life. I mean, listen, sure. We but that have. was a joke. I don't actually think that they... Of course. I think they suck. I mean, in many <laughs> other ways. Don't you like Tig a little bit more than Cheryl, though? Yeah, yeah. I think we've already talked about that. <laughs> Tig doesn't need this. Move on, Tig. Mm. Cheryl, go back to your anti-vaxxer husband and your right. um, ivory tower. Yeah, Tig's a lot of people don't movies. know that. Tig's got movies. She, Let us have movie podcasts. Yeah, and Cheryl has played Larry David's wife and has been on TV. I mean, she's she married into the Kennedys. She doesn't need a podcast. If you're vaccinated, you might not be able to listen to their podcasts. Because <laughs> I don't know if they're, they'll respect that. Just keep that in mind. If you're unvaccinated and are adamantly against it, then definitely that documentary theme podcast is for you. I would say Tig probably is down with the vaccine. I don't know that. I mean, I think, I I think she is. That. Has she said it in a very dry tone that she's... <laughs> probably. <laughs> I haven't amped up the war yet. We're still yeah, giving, yeah, yeah. We're still giving them a little, uh, some time to stop doing their documentary theme podcasts and we can move forward. I just had a great idea for, for merch when we ever do that. We could just make buttons that just say Tig and Cheryl, but with that, like, just say no. 
sign on like top the, of them. Like a dare program. Yeah. To say no. We'll go school to school lecturing kids <laughs> on why. And they're like, we don't listen to that. Our moms listen to podcasts. We don't. <laughs> I know. Kids are going to think podcasts are lame. They, I think they might. They probably do. It does seem like podcasting <laughs> seems to be like that range is like over 25 under 60. Yeah, I agree. This kind of is an our generation kind of format. Yeah. I've, and I think the people that I uh, interact with online are kind of definitely in that range. Maybe got a kid or two out there. Just mm-hmm. want to like chill. Prefer to listen to us over their own children, which I understand. <laughs> Circus of Books, directed by Rachel Mason. Circus of Books. Circus of Books. This is on Netflix. Did you know that... I don't know, unless it was, sometimes uh, Netflix would come up on movie night when other people would pick things. But when we stopped doing the documenteers, I personally, in my own time, did not fire up Netflix once. Really? No. I found that I just didn't watch it without having to do a documentary-themed show. Yeah, I get that. That's where the British baking is. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have to always have Netflix. The British, uh, the that's that the great British, British baking show. You were watching that season where it looked like that woman had almost translucent skin, like she was going to like burst into flames if she went out into the sun. I mean, she's British, right? <laughs> so am I, ancestrally Irish yeah. and British, mostly. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. If I'm standing in London, I am literally in my ancestral homeland. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. But then you go further back, and yeah, there's some African there. So you got to go way back for that. Mm-hmm. No Asian. Not, that's probably the one thing I'm not even a drop of is Asian. Mm. Not even a little. Well, a little bit of Mideast, some Arab in there. I think it's like, didn't it say like 2 3% Arab or some shit? This has been coming up a lot late, lately. I feel like we need to go back and look at our 23andMe results because I don't really remember mine very well. They update all the time. And now that they have our information on file, mm. something ever happens that can clone us. Cool. That was a weird trip. We were spitting in a vial and be like, let's put this in the mail. <laughs> LOL. Spit, spit. <laughs> mail it off. Uh, yep. Wow. Yep, Cir- totally. Circus of Books. Circus of Books. It's not about anything we have discussed yet. No, it's about books. Rachel Mason is the daughter of Karen and Barry Mason. They, uh, they're they like the, they're just, we start off seeing home footage of this family and we hear the voice of Karen and the voice of Barry and they started a little bookstore. Their kids are Rachel, Josh, and Micah. They've run this bookstore for 33 years. They started in 1982. Mm-hmm. And when asked to describe what their family is like, Barry's like basically a, a normal family, like a normal Jewish family. Mom is uh, more the alpha personality type. And then you got the... But dad is overall like presented as the very happy-go-lucky kind of guy. They said that if anyone was ever looking for him, they would just say, look for the bald guy who's smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and he had some big old teeth. Yeah. Big old teeth. <laughs> but yeah, they run a little bookstore. You know, as you do, you're running a bookstore. And the kind of bookstore where when the kids walk through, they have to look down when walking through the store. Which is amazing to me that only one of those three children ever looked around to know what was around. How did they not look? He's the only one that knew what was going on in the store. What is going on? Porn. Hell yeah. 
Hell yeah. Hardcore. Hardcore gay porn. It's a hardcore gay adult porn bookstore. Hell yes, yeah. they also sell some toys. They also sell some actual literature. Gay literature. This is produced by Ryan Murphy. What's the shit he does? American Horror Story, Glee. All the um, shows I don't like. Oh. That um, O.J. Simpson oh, that was pretty TV good. show that we watched. That was pretty good. He's done a bunch of other stuff we haven't seen. Tons of stuff we haven't. Nip Tuck, I think, was him. Probably won't ever watch that. Nah. Yeah. It's a hardcore gay adult business. I cannot believe the kids never... You know, the mom is definitely presented as a very demanding kind of person very much makes the rigid lines that you got to walk down Mm -hmm. so i guess based on that you can kind of understand why the kids didn't know but literally we get a we get to a point where one of the kids is a teenager and other teenagers are explaining to her what her parents do exactly that was the most unbelievable to me but i guess she just never questioned it she was never like why can't i go to the store and yeah, she was like, yeah, my parents own Circus of Books. Who cares? And they were like, oh my God, that's a gay porn store. Yeah. Like how many times have these kids walked by copies of Gate Masters 1 through 30 <laughs> and they just never looked up? These are some good kids. I'll tell you that. Two of them are. The, the third one really wanted to get his hands on a video. He said that at one <laughs> point there was a video that was just like loose in the car yeah. and he grabbed it as quickly as he could and like put it in his backpack or whatever. And he saved it for like six whole months. Because he was just waiting until he was home alone so he could try to see this video. Because he knew there was porn in that store. He, that's all he knew was that it was it was sex. And so he finally like goes to watch this VHS when he's alone. And it's beta. And I, he can't watch it. I found a porn VHS. Betamax? Is that what it is? Yeah, I found a porn VHS from my uncle when I was like, I was probably like 13. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen it before. The porn we found was like super hardcore. Mm. like full on like yeah. every level of penetration the whole village is coming in for these scenes that's what made me the man i am today my first porn experience was in a room full of people at college oh like they just put on some porn if i remember correctly the point was to show me porn because i had never seen porn and it wasn't a sexual situation it was like a bunch of theater oh, i believe it i believe it wasn't sexual <laughs> And it was a room full of theater kids. <laughs> yeah. Which you would think actually would be pretty... They can't keep their hands off each other, those kids. But yeah, I was, wasn't... I didn't so everyone is the showing Because I was you, in a relationship. So everyone was showing you porn. You had yeah, never seen it. I'd never seen a video, video of porn. And this was like 98. No porn whatsoever. I think I'd seen pictures and stuff. But no, I had not seen like porn. I'd seen R-rated movies. That's no that, one is I'm counting just saying, that. I'm just telling you, that's the closest I'd ever got to like seeing two people on screen having sex was in an R-rated movie before that time. Well, what was? What did you think? I mean, it, it was, it was, it was fine. It, it, I mean, it was interesting. This the, the story of the porn was that a porn star was trying to investigate the murder of another porn star. Oh, it had so a she story. had to go interview everybody that might know what was going on, and then had to fuck all those people. Well, you know, that's the best way to get answers. <laughs> Story porn. We get into some story <laughs> porn in this one. I kind of, when you see it all set up, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of miss the times where. Yeah. But sometimes the acting was just so bad. It's like, where's that balance? You know, we we haven't really gotten that true 
Are, do we still need to make that porn that's explicit and yet is like, wow, critics can't get enough of... <laughs> like Deep Throat or something? Yeah, well, Deep Throat was just different, like, for the for the time. I don't know if it was... I think it, it, it kind of is almost like a um, part of sexual history studies at this point. Well, when it came out, it got, like, it had, like, a star-studded, like, theater opening. And uh, your mom went to see mm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was the star. Hell yeah! <laughs> That's right. Big revelation. Linda Lovelace is your mom. You'd never seen a porn until college. Your own mom. That's very she told ironic. me to keep my eyes on the floor and I did what I was told, okay? <laughs> Mommy's going to work. Just sit on this couch. <laughs> Don't look at look anything. Look at the floor. And you were a good kid, so you didn't. Uh, well, Circus of Books was considered by many gay talking heads in this movie as the center of gay life in West Hollywood, Santa Monica Boulevard, Boys Town, baby, West Hollywood. I've always yep. heard about it, but I've never been there. I want to go. I think we drove through at some point a long time ago, but we weren't in L.A. very long at that point. No, we literally drove through L.A. Into the ocean. Hell yeah! <laughs> and they describe, we uh, see uh, activist Alexei Romanov. And he says that he is the last person alive from the Black Cat days where there was this gay bar. And it was uh, New Year's Eve, 1966. There were police raids on two of the bars two or three seconds after midnight after the song Old Anxiety was playing at the Black Cat. The police started to arrest people who were kissing. They were afraid because if they got outed, they could lose their job, lose their homes. From that incident came demonstrations against police brutality outside of the oldest gay bars in Los Angeles, the Black Cat and the New Faces. It was stated that if you were, at that time, if you were out, you were an outlaw. Pretty much. Yeah, th this did, though, incite, like, riots. Yes. Big protests. Not riots, I'm sorry. Protests. Anti-police yeah. protests. Yeah, very, very anti-police protests in this location, but the bar did not survive. Yeah. This is two, this. Year, two years before Stonewall this occurred. Yeah, and um, so until that point, it was probably, like, the biggest, like, pro-gay protest, anti, you know, police demonstration in that area, at least. So we cut to the matriarch Karen Mason holding a box of straight VHS tapes, and she doesn't has no idea what she's going to do with these hetero, gross-ass hetero VHS porn. It's, uh, you know, at this point, um, we are also informed by Karen that Handjobs Magazine has stopped publishing, but they are an organic chicken farmer now, and she's still... <laughs> Talks to them from time to time. They still send her back backlogged stuff, I guess. But this is admittedly an aging, alien business selling physical porn in an internet age. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's undeniable that internet and it's porn. The internet's like that, uh, like a Reese's, uh, like a Cadbury egg, and that porn filling in the middle. It's just mm. like. You can't. You don't want to eat it all the time, but sometimes it's just like I gotta get to that porn center. In the internet Cadbury egg, you know? Yeah, yeah. Gotta suck that. Uh... But you're not gonna pay for it. Although I've, I've actually, in the recent years, 
read some stuff and listened to some people talking about how truly you actually should pay for your porn because then you're supporting yeah the people who are making the porn i mean you know i used to go from time to time it's been a long time mm-hmm. get a dvd or two here yeah. back in the day and you know you don't get viruses from that shit right and um right so we're saying go buy porn yeah and just never stop watching it <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a bad advice yeah uh, apparently, mom was a journalist back in the day who wrote early on sex movements, and we see pics of mom, young, hot. She comments on how hot she used to be, and wrote about smut raids where people would sell or make porn, and the police would bust them and mm-hmm. and confiscate a bunch of stuff. She also did a lot of just like true crime reporting. Yeah, she was mainly a crim- criminal justice reporter. Yeah, so she was really dealing with some pretty heavy, heavy stuff. And back in those days, like, you know, people lashing out, the society lashing out against sexuality industry would show up in these criminal justice kind of scenarios. Yeah. She worked for the Wall Street Journal and the Cincinnati Inquirer. She interviewed Larry Flint early on in his career. And she met her her husband, Barry, at a Jewish singles party They hit it off and married in seven months. Barry's really cool. Barry is a very smart man. He worked in UCLA and was one of those dudes making little movies with Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek. Yeah. And then he worked on, he worked on 2001, A Space Odyssey. And did effects, effects work for the Star Trek TV show, which the effects styles and the set painting of the early Star Trek is... um, some of my favorite TV anything. It's amazing. And that's that's what he was doing. And then, so his father his father had kidney failure and was on a dialysis machine. And there was this one night where something happened with his dialysis machine. And basically, it started backing up and like blood started going through it where it was supposed to be medicine. Or something got confused yeah, in the yeah. piping. And his dad could have actually died. And so he was like... Hey, I don't really know anything about medical stuff, but I feel like I could figure out some kind of way to detect when the tube turns red and and it should stop the machine. Right. And so he created this device that could be put in dialysis machines that would actually do that. So it's like preemptively like stopping the issue happening that almost murdered his father. So this dude's kind of low-key brilliant. Yeah, super brilliant. Apparently when they when they got together, Karen would introduce him to people as like her inventor boyfriend. And you definitely would look at Barry and be like, this guy's going to be running a store with <laughs> videos of Bear Hunt. Um uh. Uh, Hard Cox 10. Ass fun. Basically what happened, though, was that malpractice malpractice insurance got crazy expensive. Like, so much that malpractice insurance was the same amount of money he was making per year working his job. Yeah. And so basically it was like, well, if you can't can't pay the malpractice insurance, then you can't make these... I guess I think the product ended up still getting made and like putting it put in the Dallas machines. And this, but this is insurance that prevents him from being sued if something goes if wrong. If something goes wrong with what he created, and so because of this, he was sort of forced to just sell his stake yeah. in it, and so he was kind of forced out in that way just because of money and our stupid healthcare system. But he was he didn't have a job, and Karen had also quit her job. What a Karen! Because she. Because she was dealing with all this terrible stuff and she didn't want to work 
on these stories anymore. It was really starting to affect her. Right. And so, because, but because he had such a good job, she didn't have to work for a bit, but then when he got kind of forced out, then neither one of them had a job, and they were in this tough spot, and they were starting a family. Yeah. Anyway. We see Larry Flint comes on, is shows up in this movie. Yeah. And apparently he died last February. Yeah. That's kind of like a... A, a, a notorious figure in um, in modern American history, and it just passed me by that he had passed. You know, I've in in this COVID world, I've actually found that I'm not taking in a lot of information from you know people who I've been intrigued by in the past, like people. Mm. And of course, with COVID, like a lot of people have you know died. So yeah, when he was, I guess, just right before all that. 2021. He died last February. Oh, I see few months ago, February. So Larry Flint is talking about how it was very hard to get places to run his magazines directly. Mm-hmm. He kind of had to go through different bookstore distributors, which yeah. could be hairy and go up and down, and people might drop them because of uh, maybe getting heat by protest groups or some shit. But Barry, kind of, you know, intuitive here, sees something that he can kind of help facilitate. Yeah. And he ends up and he, so he's like, "Okay, I will I will distribute this stuff." And he gained apparently 2500 orders by stepping up and being a distributor. And he I guess Larry Flint said he was his first distributor for Hustler magazine. Yeah, so he got those 20 so he had to sell 2500 in order to get an order from them. So he in one afternoon just driving around to different other bookstores and stuff cuz you know, they're not all going to buy like one, they're going to buy right. like a couple hundred, you would imagine. I don't know. And so, but yeah, he just drove around and it was either a day or a week, like a very short period of time. He got it all. And they were doing that for a while, just kind of these 2,500, 25,000, whatever orders. And then they were like, why can't we do, let's just do more. Let's just get more clients. Look, I'm going to need uh, about a hundred copies of Gary Gaper in Tweet City. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened yeah. is they started picking up other magazines and also not just porn magazines. For a while, they were also distributing like The New Yorker and stuff. Right. Which he called at one point real magazines. And I love that Karen very quickly corrected him. Mm-hmm. She was like, what are you talking about? They're all real magazines. And, I would, and she basically was like, and the gay ones are better because they actually sell. Yes. <laughs> Blue Boy right next to New Yorker. Blue Boy was a big uh oh, yeah. a big gay mag at the time. But there was this this bookstore that's called Books Circus. It was having some problems and it stopped making payments to their distributors cuz it turned out the owner or one of the co-owners was kind of well into uh the slopes. He went skiing a lot. He'd go to Aspen and really just snork up the whole mountain. Um, he was into Coke and Barry, Barry would negotiate with, uh, because he was so behind on his money, Barry was able to negotiate around him. Yeah. He negotiated with the owner to basically get the manager fired and removed. And then he like took over the whole business. Yeah. So he took the thing over so he could then sell titles such as got it bad for stepdad. And he said that (laughs) (laughs) that's, that was one of them. He said that he basically, the reason it's called Circus of Books is because it was Book Circus, and he just wanted to do it, he wanted to save money, so he just cut the sign in half, flipped it around, and just paid for the of. It's definitely much better, the change. <laughs> Books Circus? Yeah, that's dumb. Books Circus just rolls off the tongue. 
we see a scene where I guess they take like request orders and they're like, I want this type of guy in this porn. So Karen is going to this guy in the back, Jorge, to verify if this guy in a video is wide enough. What are you looking for? I'm just trying to find something that uh, isn't quite as explicit. What does he want? He wants a white man and no penetration, please. Look white to you, Jorge. Yeah, they're white. white. One of them. Yep. All of them. All okay, of them. good. Karen and her daughter Rachel, who I should point like I remind is the director. They're going to a bookstore, a book expo, and Karen hates going to a book expo. She's getting pitched items and like lube. She's being sold. This lady's trying to sell her on something that she's calling a herpes destroyer. That seems a little strange. Like, what destroys herpes? Yeah, that was that was really weird. But she orders, and the lady, and uh, sorry, Karen was like, "No, no, just give me my order and give me what you normally give me, and then throw in this like tub of anal lube." How can you destroy herpes without destroying us all? <laughs> but Karen does get a fishbowl full of uh, lube. This was the only reason she said she went to this. I believe was because of the documentary. Because she said she didn't actually want to go anymore. No, but Rachel her daughter like, really wanted on, to like see it. Mom, let's go look at dildos. What was cool were the few times that you heard someone going like, oh, you're a circus of books. Yeah. Like, you're a circus of books. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever. She just really doesn't even care for the stuff. No. But it's her business, she's, so she's got to like see it. She but... just wants to talk about the Chinese boner pills that just fly off the shelves. She was just ordering some. The early employees taught them a lot when they took over the store. And uh, that's when we start to see, um, you know, uh, who, are, who are some of the talking heads we see in this movie? Like one of your favorite drag queens is in this movie, right? Yeah, Alaska Thunderfuck 5000. It was always my dream to work in a porn store. I'm a weirdo and kind of a pervert, I guess. <laughs> that's her full name. When, she's on, when she was on Drag Race, it's just Alaska. Right, but yeah, Alaska Thunderfuck Five Thousand is her is her full is her God given name. I'm a weirdo and kind of a pervert, I guess. Apparently, the out there was the alley behind Circus of Books they called it Vaseline Alley. I've actually heard about Vaseline Alley. Yeah. Yeah. Because your lips were chapped, and you're like, boy, I could really. <laughs> Stand to go to Vaseline Alley. I mean, no, I heard, I mean, I heard actually on, I believe, Alaska's podcast mm. with Willem, another drag queen who I love talking about Vaseline Alley. But Vaseline Alley was a place where the men's would go to have the sex. We see this one dude talking about how, like, yeah, I lost my virginity uh, out in Vaseline Alley to a cop in training. Yeah, he was like, it's like a porn writing itself. And apparently there was a, an attic in Circus of Books that <laughs> dudes would roll up into. Barry didn't even know about it. He was like, what's that? What's no, no, that? it was Alaska. Alaska didn't Alaska know. was like, I had no idea that was even a thing. I totally missed out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like probably would have fucked up there had, had they known. So Karen is like, you know, this whole venture was supposed to be brief. Maybe make some money. I mean, they made $1,000 their first day. Pretty damn good. Yeah, especially that's... For 80s money, early 80s money. Crazy. But she wanted this to be uh, not a permanent thing, but to help subsidize and make more money, 
They start making gay porn or start funding it. They're rather. they're distributing the gay porn. So they're kind of working with particular people who are making these videos and they are the prime distributor. They get big porn producer director Matt Sterling and they drag in the biggest uh, gay porn star of the day, mm-hmm. Jeff Stryker. I've heard of this guy actually. Jeff Stryker. And Jeff Stryker is still alive today. Yeah, and seems to be doing great. And it's worth noting because when you see a lot of these talking heads and they're talking about the the gay history of West Los Angeles, the the fact of the matter is that we've lost a lot of people over the years yeah. due to the AIDS epidemic. So someone who was just so... Jeff Stryker is just like one of those guys that every gay dude wanted to get with. Like, he was the hottest thing ever. So, And he still looked healthy in his oh, yeah. older age. And we get... Uh, uh, a hilarious uh, montage of the oh, acting wow. scenes of the Jeff Stryker that movie. That song. When he's singing that song. <laughs> Are you willing to give me whatever I want? Jeff Stryker. When you're good, and you're good, it feels really great. Something like that. Yeah, it was like you feel good when things are going great, <laughs> or right, or okay. Jeff Stryker is holding his own doll with a bulge in its pants. He actually undoes his pants and shows you that the penis moves, it, is movable. It bends like a Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's that? always hard. It just like comes up to it attention. It just moves around. Like we all had like a toy that was like a wire in it. It was like a hard rubber. Yeah. And you could uh, bend it around. So he said that was what he had one up on Ken. Striker Force was the first movie. Ken ain't got shit. No, Ken has nothing. Ken has like negative. Yeah. Poor Ken. Yeah, so Striker Force, and, and this was a huge boost for the store because they not only distributed it, but they had Jeff Striker actually in the store signing and he said that he would keep signing as long as they had stuff for him to sign because he was one of those kind of people who recognizes that these people who like want to meet me are the people who are buying my movies and this is why i have a job there was so much demand for this tape that uh karen and barry were like people wanted us to give them the shit before we even made the movie yeah they were calling like send it to me now and they're like we don't have it ready and barry and karen were like because of the overall perceptions of porn by the greater public and the shithead uh, conservative administrations of the day in the early 80s, mm-hmm. because of, because porn was so kind of looked down on, even though everyone fucking wanted it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of lent itself to um, being manipulated by kind of shady people in the business. But that's why people loved Barry and Karen, because they literally... Were just a normal family who just happened to, they were honest, right? They were mm-hmm. wholesome. They were seen as wholesome. When it seemed like you could work for these people and you knew they wouldn't fuck you over. Yep. Then Everyone suddenly, trusted them. Then you're churning out movies like Cop Shaft, Riverboat Seamen, Hardball. There's a point actually earlier on that I connected to this once they were actually talking about it, where Karen's showing her daughter like all these 
files of these movies. There's like this huge list of movies. And she basically is like, these are the movies that put you through college. And then they watched them together. They sat down and they watched them. <laughs> Karen would never. So the government and Ronald Reagan go to war on porn. Remember when Ronald when Ronald Reagan got shot? <laughs> hmm That shit was funny. <laughs> Karen would talk about like when when she would admit that th- what they did in like other circles, right? And she talked about how people would always say, "Well, I, I don't have a problem with that." <laughs> which which directly translates to i have a problem with that or it's like they're trying to talk themselves into it like how someone it's how some like people who aren't around other types of people and then they're faced with the existence of this so then they feel the need to clarify when if it really just came that naturally to you what do you would think to say shit like that yeah yeah this is when she starts talking about how you should only sell to people that you know and they have people they send to around the country because they're distributors, but you don't take on new clients, barely ever. Like, huh. it has to be someone you know or someone's vouching for someone. And, you know, this, like, war on porn is happening. And then one of her employees takes an order over the phone to send, like, three videos to where, like, Pennsylvania. And you know these fucking conservative fucks are fucking probably getting off on the freaky shit way freakier than oh, you'd ever yeah. find. They're probably, like, looking at goats, and they can't come without... St- <laughs> you know what? Never mind. <laughs> we it's could cool. We it's could cool. probably go to weird places there. So they send the employee, without them knowing, like, packages up these DVDs and sends them to Pennsylvania or wherever. And then all of a sudden, they're involved in this lawsuit. Yeah. So basically, it, what it is, is it's like this sting operation where they're trying to get porn stores to send porn across state lines and then they can prosecute you for sending porn across mm, state lines mm. and so it's just this very small order they it's, don't even know about it when it happens it's like the plot of Smokey and the bandit but instead of cores uh, a semi-truck full of cores it's like a semi-truck full of porn but it's still um that dude that sings eastbound and down <laughs> driving the truck always always so they find themselves in the middle of this lawsuit And they can't tell anybody. Yeah. Because they don't want their friends to know that this is happening. They don't, they can't tell the kids, obviously. They get a really good lawyer. They basically don't really have an argument because it happened. They did sell porn across state lines. Now, it shouldn't be illegal, but it was. And so it came down to Karen says, one of us is going to have to go to jail. So I decided it should probably be Barry, (laughs) (laughs) which I just love the frankness of that. And he just sat there like, mm hmm. Eventually, all this would kind of be tied up uh, when the Clinton administration came in, which yeah. meant that this shit was going on for years, right? Mm-hmm. But the Clinton administration basically just kind of paroled the scenario. The FBI was trumping these charges, but the Clinton administration just kind of like didn't care. Well, the- But so that the government and the FBI aren't culpable and so that no lawsuits can be thrown against them. They still have to sign something that declares that they are guilty. Yes. Of it, which is like, which is just totally just so that law enforcement and government law enforcement is not implicit in any wrongdoing, even though what they're doing is like overreaching and wrong. All these conservatives who dig deep, who talk about like big government shouldn't be in our lives, are then like telling you. 
that you shouldn't be looking at, uh, you know, your boy Jeff Stryker. Right. But you can't stop me from looking at Jeff Stryker. Nor should you try. So basically it was like they kind of more were parole, but no one fucking cared. Yeah, so Barry was like, I just had to go sign something once a month and it didn't matter. So we get we go in and out of the story of the one of their kids, Joshua, who is dealing with his own gayness and coming up and mm-hmm. having to work through that. And as he's going through that, we're also going in and out, uh, like our listeners' moms, of into the AIDS epidemic that occurred. Yeah. And this is where we got Alexi talking about all the people he's lost. And Barry. Barry made me very sad here, in which he was discussing how so many people, he knew so many people that were dying in their 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And he would go visit certain people that he got to know in the hospital and meet their parents who were, like, being shitty to them. Well, and... he, he said he tried to call that one kid's parents and be like, your kid is in the hospital, your kid is sick, you need to come see this kid. Yeah. And the parent basically was like, no, I kicked him out, I'm never going to see him again. So... I don't want to see him again. And it, like, broke Barry's heart. So Barry was just, he's just shocked at how people would treat their kids over the fact that they were gay. And this wasn't so long ago. So it's, for anyone listening, it's actually probably not hard to wrap your head around people like this, you know? Yeah, but he said it was so, so sweet the way he said it because he just said, you know, I wasn't thinking about whether they are gay or not. It's your child. It's their kid. So their child, Joshua, is kind of realizing he is gay, but he's, and this is so strange because their parents are like the epicenter of of like gay merchants in West Hollywood. But their kids literally just did not know. They didn't know. And their mom, was we found out, religious. was super religious. Barry was not. Barry was not, but she was. Like she was like going to church synagogue all the time. The kids grew up in the church, didn't know what their parents were actually doing. So while Joshua's parents are hawking uh, hardcore gay pornography... Joshua is like filling the void with activities. He's suppressing his gayness because all his peers around him, of course. I mean, what, this is like the late 80s, early 90s. Like, kids were homophobic without even like trying. Like, you could bear, like, they barely even thought about it. Everyone, everything was gay. Like, Beth's gay. That's gay. Remember that shit? Yeah. And all he was trying to do was just not be pegged as one of the gay kids because he knew that then he'd have a hard time. And so he said that he actually sort of took on this, like, asexual persona. Yeah. He just didn't have anything to do with anybody. And it wasn't until he was in college that he even was able to say to himself, like, yeah. oh, I'm gay. And that was, like, well into college yeah, that he had to do that's that. that's true. The daughter, Rachel, also the director, um, would hang out with this uh, friend, Fernando, who was gay and would be a former employee. Mm-hmm. And they grew up as friends in this outsider group in their high school. Like they're like a mixed bag of gay kids and weird kids. Like probably, in the 90s, they were like the freaks. Probably playing D&D, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, Rachel uh, says, like, yeah, my parents uh, run a bookstore. And um, she's telling Fernando, like, yeah, they run Circus of Books. And Fernando's like, Circus of Books? <laughs> What? <laughs> Rachel, Circus of Books is a porno store. <laughs> yeah, and it like blew her mind. Blew her mind. And then later, Fernando went to work for her parents. She does say to her brother at one point, she says, you know, I, I why couldn't you tell me? Like, you had to know that I would be okay with you being gay. Like, I was friends with gay people. Like, queer life was my life. Yeah. 
And he just said, you know, he actually said, you know, you you actually were a little too far yeah. into that scene for me. He's like, I'm not actually comfortable being being super out and and you can definitely blame the camera in this scenario. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I think He's, so too. Joshua's a shy guy, but he did not seem that comfortable being interviewed in this process. And he may just not. Yeah, he may just not have been comfortable talking about it. I'm sure he felt like he kind of had to, you know, because it's his sister and it's about his parents. But yeah, I think there was just some shyness happening. So yes, as we say, this store in the modern context is profitable but not sustainable. And uh, a longtime employee, Ben, is retiring, and it's a very sad affair. All the employees that work here are very close to each other. Yeah. And they all, you know, I guess you got to have a lot of love and a lot of open-mindedness. To, and you really got to care about people to work in a pornography store. Yeah. So, yeah, they are selling the business. They ultimately have to sell the business. Yeah. At one point, Karen shows this graph. Uh, it's like a line graph. Of the sales year to year, and then like they're still doing pretty good in 2008, but that's when she says, like, that's when the internet porn kind of really picked up, and it's just a gradual fall from yeah. there. It's really sad, but they never started selling anything online. Like, a lot of other bookstores stay open, yeah, because they start selling things online, but they just they didn't do it, they just always were in person. Hard material. They kind of dropped. Unintended. The, they kind of dropped the ball on that, or maybe like some kind of like mail out service like that. Yeah. You know, one time I worked at a gas station, and a guy bought like a a porn mag, and then it was also connected to a hotel. Mm-hmm. So I was working at the gas station part, and a buddy of mine was working at the hotel part. <laughs> the guy buys the magazine, mm-hmm. goes over to the hotel side, gets a room, goes into the room, comes back like thirty minutes later. Checks out. Pay, checks out, throws my buddy an extra 20 and is like, I was never here. What? Who was he? I don't know, but all he did was go into a room, buy a room, beat off in it, and leave. He must have been a politician or something in the local Clarksville. Like a judge or some shit? Somebody, because why else would you say, I was never here? It's like, yeah. Who the fuck is Don't even say that. I won't even think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if someone came and asked for, like, John Smith or whatever the fuck his name was, they'd be like, uh, no, that man didn't sign in ever. But, like, And look, maybe maybe it's weird to me because I'm just so open-minded, right? But this idea that some guy, like, beat off in a hotel room, I couldn't imagine anything less... You know... Shocking. (laughs) You know, I I actually knew someone a long time ago who dated a person and told them that they couldn't masturbate because that was cheating. Maybe he was in an oppressive relationship. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So that <laughs> So let's just pity the man. So that's a reason why you might get a hotel room for thirty I minutes guess, to beat off in it. I guess you really need to do it. And there are free magazine there too, because he didn't take it with him. Or get a girlfriend that lets you beat off when you need to. If you want to copy a nugget, that's where you <laughs> needed to be in like 2001. <laughs> so Josh, he comes out as gay. Now, you know, Karen, she runs a gay porn store, of course. Like, I'm sure she'll be cool with that, right? This was so upsetting to me because, no, she wasn't. She... She did the whole, what have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? God is punishing me because I have a porn store by making my son gay. Yeah. Like, it was awful. And 
he's already been beating himself up about this his whole life, right? And now, and like denying who he is because of it, because of the religious aspect. And then his mom, who you would think would be so cool about it, is the opposite. And she even said, which is so hypocritical, and we've talked about this before, that she's okay with anyone else who's gay, but not her own children. That's so bizarre. Just when you think someone's got it, and then it's like, uh uh-oh, got a little more journey to go. Yeah, so it took her a while. Barry, on the other hand, super cool. Barry and his teeth, loved it. He was just, like, basically trying to give him, like, practical fatherly advice. Like, on the way back to the airport the next morning, he just said to him, he said, you know, men can take advantage of other men in the same way that men can take advantage of women. (laughs) I've seen the movies. Trust me. But it was just his sweet way of just basically saying, like, protect yourself and I love... You know, like, it basically was him being like, it's cool, but just be careful. You know, son, Jeff Stryker once said... It just, ugh, it just surprised me so much. Very quickly, though, Karen talks about how, you know, she obviously still loved her son. This is, but the, it moment, took her, this is the moment where Karen becomes a total Karen, y- by the way. Yeah, for a bit, for a minute, for a minute. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. She takes some time, but she has to kind of come to an understanding of, like, her religion and what she believes and that this is her son and accepting him and, like, get to the other side of, like, what has been in her head her whole life. The guilt she's also had over having this job that she really truly does have a... has had a problem with what they're doing. She really compartmentalized the shit out of it. I think I paused it at this point and literally turned to you and said, this is textbook compartmentalization. Yeah. Like, it's insane the way she separated her family from her work. But... She does eventually come to being okay with all of this and loving her son for who he is. And she even becomes very involved. They both do, she and Barry both do, in PFLAG, which is um, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. You know, she is now even a counselor who, in these, like, kind of group therapy sessions, like, talks other parents through what she dealt with. Because she is a person who did not agree with it, had trouble but then came out the other side and now severely regrets the way she reacted to her son on the night that he came out to her like she feels guilt now over that which is which is the more appropriate thing to feel guilt over than the fact that you sold gay porn who cares who cares love your kids (laughs) and let people do porn can you imagine that like she's stocking copies of the boy meat parade and she's like what am i gonna do about my son i can't believe he's gay i know (laughs) I know. She could not be more inundated in this culture without being gay herself. Well, we didn't actually. That is one of the things that, you know, they talked about with the AIDS epidemic was that, you know, they had such a, we'll say interesting, tragic viewpoint of the whole thing because they had friends, they had employees, Mm. they had people that they were very close to. And they're like in the epicenter of this community. And yet, because they're a straight, married, monogamous couple were not involved in any of this. Right. And actually, you know, there was no fear of them getting AIDS and they just saw people coming and going and dying and it was horrible. Yeah. For a long time. They said at one point they, you know, the kids didn't understand what was going on because they, again, shielded them from that too. But that, you know, the daughter said at one point she goes into the store and she's like, oh, yeah, we're so-and-so. And they're like, yeah, he he's dead. Jesus. And that would just happen so often in her childhood. Eventually, Karen does learn to cope, like you said, and joins yeah, the yeah. organization. 
So for the rest for a lot the rest of this movie, it's just kind of like gearing up to the selling of the store. They're kind of hemming and hawing on what they can or can't do, but the reality is they do have to sell the store. But Karen's also going around. You can tell her daughter's making her do this kind of stuff. And they go to this guy's house where he has on display. I thought this was super interesting. It's an archive. Archive mm-hmm. of this magazine called One Magazine. Now, this is a magazine going back to the 50s that talked about, like, things from a homosexual perspective. Yeah, it was like an underground, it was, self-produced. It wasn't porn. No. It, it was just, like... Gay culture magazines going back to like the middle of the century, mm-hmm. and uh, at one point Karen, who's always trying to deflect from the fact that there's the cameras on her so much and how awkward it is, yeah, she says to Rachel, "You should be doing a documentary about this," and I kind of agreed with that statement. I did too. I want to know more about one magazine. Absolutely, get on it, somebody out there, and we'll talk about it. Rachel, when talking about how. Karen was dealing with Josh, the Josh shit. Rachel was like, why didn't you just drop the religion? And Karen was like, I couldn't. It was just so important to me. It's hard to explain. But then she says something along the lines of... You just always think you know what's best. And you're wrong. Parents uh, are only smart for a very small window of time. (laughs) And uh, then we go to the last day of Circus of Books. And... Yeah, everyone's hugging each other, saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. It's like Cheers, but for gay porn. It's like the last episode of Cheers, but gay porn. Did the bar close at the last episode of Cheers? I watched most of it. I didn't get to the end yet. I need to pick it back up. I think so. Huh. I know Diane came back. I think he was maybe selling it for good or... Maybe it was closing down for good. That was actually something in this that I thought was interesting. As she said, you know, she would try to sell it as is to someone else who would run it. But she truly didn't believe it was a viable business to try to sell in that way. I think Jorge was probably the Diane of Circus of Books. Yeah, they're right. One of them. Yep. All of them. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much that movie, Circus of Books by Rachel Mason, Angela. Mm-hmm. When we when we judge, when we lay judgment upon these documentaries. Yes. We do it in this uh, exclusive uh, rating system called the Herzog rating system. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. We will combine our reviews for best out of ten Herzogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Overall, I like this documentary. Yes. And, and I guess it happens when you talk about gay history, especially throughout the 80s, how there is just this thing of... Of, uh, like, there there are parts of this movie that were legitimately funny. Like, the first, like, 40 minutes were funny. Kind of establishing this kind of quirky little family who run a hardcore gay porn store. And just the fact, like, we're... So when we're dealing with that fact that this very normal-looking Jewish family mm-hmm. uh, runs this kind of thing, it is there's a charm to it. There's a comedy to it, you know? Yeah. Alaska's coming on and saying funny shit, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, but then like at the, the second half of it is a lot of like dealing with the emotions of it, the fallout of losing employees over the years to the AIDS epidemic and dealing with like a religious crisis that you wouldn't think someone who would open up a store like this would have to deal with something like that. Yeah. So it got really sad. I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think if the balance worked because when a documentary is funny, it's very rare we watch a documentary that really cracks us up, right? Right. Only your American movies, your heavy metal parking lots. That, right. That shit will do it. But, like, when I feel like there's some real 
comedy going on. Like, I feel like I want to crave more of it. But because you're talking about the history of the government against pornography and the history of gay culture in West Hollywood, it, it has to get a little sad at certain points. But but this did an important thing of um, that why I like documentaries and that I learned shit. Mm-hmm with the, the the black cat and the one magazine and the stuff and I kind of and it and I learned things that I kind of want to read more deeper into on my own time mm-hmm. especially all this gay porn I want to I think I want to start watching it now okay I'm gonna give this circus of books what I feel like is a very respectable it's hard it is hard because it's not perfect you know, but I don't have much complaint well you think about it I did want to point out one thing that I feel like we kind of glossed over a bit obviously we talked about this um this court battle they were in the reason that it was such a big deal and people like at that at that convention were saying like oh you're circus of books is because when it first happened their first instinct was we'll just shut the shop down we'll just close the we'll just close the bookstore and their lawyer was like no you cannot close the bookstore you need to be the example you have to fight yeah and so that's why it lasted for years and they're such a big deal is because they fought and fought and fought until it got squashed. But they were the big case that everyone was trying to bring them down. And then it just kind of was this example of like, you don't have to quit and you can persevere through it and you're a gay bookstore. And it was kind of like groundbreaking mm-hmm. for the, those that came after them. You think Ronald Reagan beat off the confiscated gay porn? <sighs> I don't even want to know. I feel like there's probably horses horses involved <laughs> we know what his favorite documentaries episode would be i wonder if like reagan uh masturbated to footage of him getting a shot don't you think that probably snuff films were invented by a republican oh, come on of course of course right yeah you yeah. gotta be wound up like that super mm. self-repressive a hardcore artrite conservative like a super religious person yeah fundamentalist definitely is probably into snuffing and you know that guy who was probably calling her, having her dig through all the videos to find him exactly a white man, not penetra- not penetrative. Right, no penetration. Nope, that was a w- hard word I just tried to say. Penetrative. No penetration. Um, and, and then he was just going to come pick it up just right. very quickly. Right. I was never here. He probably threw an extra 20. Right. I was, I was never, never here. here. <laughs> uh, four Herzogs. I'm going to give it a solid four Herzogs. And not to just agree with you every time, but truly that is what I had already decided I was going to give it was four. Great. I I think it's a solid four. I think it gives it a solid eight. I think that's a really good number for this movie. It had charm. It was informative. I cried. I laughed. It wasn't perfect. Well, you you cry at wrestling, but. You know, I will say in this instance, sometimes. (laughs) Shh. I will say sometimes the director being involved in the film really bugs me. Yeah. And I won't say I loved it 100% here, but it made the most sense of most that we've seen like that because she is part of the family. Yeah. So it, it does make sense to have the camera turn towards her and she's interacting with her mother and her brothers. Even if she wasn't directing it, she would probably still be in it, of course. Exactly. If it was someone else directing it, she would still be there. So it really did... It, it was appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the story of her... Having to be told what is in the store. <laughs> I know. And, you know, the cool part was that she's always been filming things. Mm. So there was really great footage from them growing up. 
Yeah. You know, like really great, like old videos of Karen and Barry and so, the kids. Some at, great shots of Barry's teeth. So, so good. All right. I guess that's it. That is uh, eight out of 10 herd socks for Circus of Books. Very good. Charming, funny, sad, educational. Yes. Do it together. Keep, Keep on, on docking. So good, feeling good when you know things are going right. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think it actually turned out really well. Maybe our best since we've come back, you think? The song playing under me right now is the song Bigger Than Life from the Jeff Stryker porn of the same name. I'll link the music video scene in the show notes. It's on YouTube, so there's no meat show going on. I'm not 100% sure, but if that is Jeff Stryker singing, then it wasn't too bad. The songwriting, though, is kind of rough. It's worth checking the video out just to see how into it the keyboardist was. It's funny to think about session musicians taking a gig in a gay porn. I hope they paid well. Happy Pride, everybody. I confess that this is our only gay-centric documentary this month, but the gays are never far away from our lips, and they could pop up at any time. We did a whole Pride Month a couple years ago, but I didn't really plan properly and was more focused on our return. But again, Happy Pride, and shout out to all those whose lives and dignity were attacked in order to pave the way for a modicum of progress. The real heroes are the names we'll never know. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording and editing it, then help us out by subscribing, recommending, keep on listening if this is your first episode, and shoot us some stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is the taskmaster dom daddy of podcast directories, and saying nice things about us on there actually helps our show grow and puts us in front of even more listeners. It really does work. So if you give us five stars and a written review, I'll read it on a future episode. Even if you write something personally insulting about me, but you give it five stars, then I'll have no choice but to read it on the show. If you want to contact us with any praise, adoration, criticism, or recommendations for things to watch, we're the easiest to find on our Documenteers Instagram DMs there will get seen eventually, and it ain't unusual for me to chat with listeners of the show, especially if they're cool. You can also hit us up on our email over at documenteers at gmail.com. Several of you have hit me up on there since our return, and have said very nice things, and I greatly appreciate it. I also have a Twitter under @culturerotter, but I mostly lurk on there. If you follow me, and you're not a bot or a cam girl, then I'll probably follow you back. We are also planning on pushing a Culture Rot Twitch and YouTube, and I'm working on material for that, and I'm waiting on some green screen stuff for live streaming. That kind of thing takes a lot of work to set up if you bother to care. I might be overthinking it though. That's not unusual. Follow Culture Rot on YouTube or Twitch, and I'll gladly network with you there if you're, if you're cool. If you love the documenteers, then I know you're cool. Maybe we can team up and someday I'll raid you over on Twitch with like 30 people. I tell you, at this point, if 30 people followed me on Twitch, 
I'd probably feel like a hit considering I haven't really done much. I have actually streamed things and deleted them in a self-conscious fit, but I'm working on it, folks. Anyway, thanks for listening. Johnny returns next week and we're talking about the documentary Kumare. It's free on Tubi, so if you're interested. So hit that up and hit us up again next week. We will see you then. Happy Pride and keep on docking. It was always my dream to work in a porn store. I'm a weirdo and kind of a pervert, I guess.